Andrew Logan and Tanya. We're doing a series on local body politics and really we're going to look at how we can educate New Zealanders on what is going on, how we can improve it, and there is much room for improvement, and most importantly, perhaps, how loyal supporters can get involved and really take back our power locally and then in the 2026 election look to take back our power nationally as a people, as a people's movement. Andrew, you you had a great suggestion this week. You said, let's look at the history of local councils and how they've come about. But just now you've given us two bombshells before we came to air. Tell us what's going on in Hamilton. What have you learned this week, Andrew? Right, so we are recording this on the 1st of December. Uh, so I don't know when people will be watching it, but in the last uh, few days, we have been having uh, council meetings on our 10-year budget and setting rates rises for the next three years. And we are looking at a massive rates rise of 25% next year, uh, which is 25 going to 25%, 25%, a quarter of what they're paying in rates, again, added on. Yes. And yes. just to let people know here, you are, how long have you been a councillor, just to bring people up to speed? Uh, one year. Yep. So uh, I can't be blamed for the previous councils and their misspending, uh, but all the chickens have come home to roost. Yeah. What's their justification, Andrew, for that enormity of rates rise? Uh, they are blaming inflation and things like that, but as we know, inflation's at around 7%, so it's hard to justify a 25% uh, increase on the basis of 7% inflation. Fundamentally, it's um, they can't hide it anymore with borrowing because the council has hit its credit limit. Um, every, 18 out of the last 20 years, the council has covered its overspending by borrowing and to keep rates down because uh, the voters tend to see the rates rises but don't look too closely at the council books and see all the uh, increase in debt. But now, with rising interest rates, uh, uh, we can't borrow anymore. So this is having a bit of an impact. And um, people who might have read the newspaper articles um, or heard about the 25% figure, um, that's for the first year, followed by other rates rises, and compounded over the next three years it is a 60% rates rise. Tanya, Ben, you are a loyal candidate in East Ham Hamilton East. What is your reaction when you hear this? I'm furious. I just, we've been trying and trying and trying to get through to the council for such a long time, good couple of years now. And um, thank goodness we've got Andrew trying really hard to, get it out there what's going on because um a lot of the resident rate payers groups that I've been to common law groups we've been discussing this for some time and we are getting stonewalled and so is Andrew and the guys that are voting against these um policies the people that are in there are absolutely corrupt to the eyeballs and I am getting to the point and actually, I had someone call me today who said Tanya what is going on he's a property developer 
this is going to hit him in the thousands. It is. It's going to drive people off their land. Yeah, what are the scenarios, Andrew? What are the uh, Tanya? Let's start with you. What do you see as the fallout from this? This is the land grab. This is the World Economic Forum um, prices out of our own homes, and they'll come in as mortgagee sales under the um, when we got our mortgages, um, and we um, they secretly gave themselves power of attorney to um and and we've had people having they haven't been able to afford the rates and the the council now are sending police around to intimidate people in Hamilton. I don't know whether you know that Andrew. But I did not people, know that. Yeah, that yeah it's getting um really bad. I know probably three people um that have had police around their houses having a look at what's going on and they um yeah, intimidation, intimidation. Logan, Courtney, this is this is literally New Zealanders losing our country from yep. the local ground level up, isn't it? What's your feeling, Logan, Courtney, when you hear all this? Yeah, so, I mean, this isn't just happening in Hamilton. This is happening all over the, the entire country. And when you approach some of these mayors, their response verbatim is, well, then if you can't afford your rates, you shouldn't own property. And so I'm kind of thankful that the council in Hamilton's actually hit their credit limit because up until now, they've, like Andrew said, they've been able to hide it, hide all their you know, negligent spending, their fiscal unresponsible behaviour through, oh, we'll just get more debt, more debt, more debt. And I think we all know, as you can see with our 1% tax uh, policy, that if you're going to use your house you know, or you're going to use your credit card. You're going to max out your credit card, then I'll refinance through my house, and then I'll just go back spending on my credit card again. This is what councils have been doing. And so what it means is, is that, yeah, if we had a real central bank that was looking after us, this wouldn't just trigger at the council level. This would trigger at the, you know, central or national government level. And then the minister for local government should be going, oi, what are you doing? You know, how how is it that you're you're saying that you're representing the people when realistically we've what we've paid off of the the you know town water supply, we've paid off the the your sewage system. So how is it that with all of these things being you know built generations ago or you know X period of time ago, our rates should be going down, not up. You know unless you're building new hospitals, new airports, you're improving infrastructure, you're creating jobs. That's the only time that your rates should either break even or go higher. But as we see, these people are just absolutely wasting your money. And again, we, we don't have the triggers, which is what we should have with the minister for, you know, for local government. I mean, what are you doing? That would be my question as well. Why is it that you're not stepping in and saying, hey, 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 I'm going to have to disband your council because you're being irresponsible? So, yeah, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked and answered uh, and not just at a local level. But again, it also comes back to now the people are being held responsible for this as well. If you're not fastidious and 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 micromanaging every part of your council, if you're not running your council, your council will run you. And that's what's happening now. So it's a call. That is a very important call to people. Get involved. Go along mm. to council meetings. Put them on the mat and say, why is this happening? Why did they tell you, Andrew? that this was needed, a 25% rise. Is it partly to service all of those loans, all that debt that Hamilton's built up? The 
main driver behind it uh, is a bunch of um, vanity projects that the uh, pet projects of, of councillors ideologically driven by um, green uh, roading anti-car projects. Um, and so we've got something like $90 million worth of cycleways, speed bumps, in-lane bus stops, um, and removal of car parks. Um, so uh, each of those projects, when it came up, uh, we voted on it, and uh, there's a group of myself and five other councillors voting against them, but we were losing every vote, six votes to eight. So uh, at the end of that, with a, a big spending increase at a time when we know we're at our credit limit, we were already talking about a 19% rates rise. Um, we decided to say, well, no, we're not going to hide this. Um, I kept talking about honesty. And uh, in the end, um, the majority of councillors agreed to go to the public and tell them the, what the real figure for the first year actually is, um, which is the 25% figure. Uh, the mayor um, was pushing for a lower figure, but spread over three years, so higher figures in the second and third year. Um, and again, that's um, that's not honest. <laughs> mm. If if we've voted, if we've agreed for these projects, I want the people to see what they're really in for, so that the people actually know that they have to stand up this time. Um, the last council elections, uh, the voter turnout was just thirty percent in Hamilton. We really, really need people to get active to say, no, this isn't good enough and it is time to stand up because the process from here is it does go out for public consultation and midway through next year, we have a final vote based on the results of that public consultation. So there is a chance to stop this. If we can switch that six to eight vote the other way around, then and um, we can stop this, save a huge amount of money and lower that rates increase. What's the name of your mayor? Uh, mayor Paula Southgate. Paula Southgate. If I was in that meeting next to you, Andrew, I would be I would be nailing her with my eyes. Paula, do you know what will happen to the people you are meant to be serving? They will lose their homes. Children will not have a home. We'll have more homeless on our streets. We'll have families breaking down under the pressure of this. Mm -hmm. Paula, you surely as a human being, let's leave the mayoralty and the politics behind as a human being, you cannot sanction this. What would a woman like that say to an appeal from the heart with passion and with a good argument? Well, uh, that's an interesting point because the opposition <laughs> Um, is a, a green socialist group who will talk about uh, they're doing everything for the people, trying to look after the people. Um, but the reality is um, the, the socialist policies don't work. Mm -hmm. um, it is better for 
people to be able to decide what to do with their own money according to their own priorities and their own needs. Um, and uh, some people, um, or plenty of poor people who are renting, um, who will be hit through rent rises, um, don't have any control over that. And uh, that choice between, say, um, being able to afford a doctor's visit um, or their um, rent, um, they are in the best position to make that choice. Um, uh, uh, if, they, if they want to put their health behind them and um, choose to cycle into town, <laughs> um, they might want to put their money towards cycleways. Um, let them make that choice. The socialists don't need to make that choice for us. Very well said. But my point being, was there any discomfort among the eight who said, yeah, a 25% rate rise is okay? Was there any... Um, sense of of horror at what this will unleash, or are these people so yep. disconnected? Well, actually, uh, the mayor and the deputy mayor, um, at the end of the day, suddenly realised when we hit the figure of twenty five point five percent that it was a bit of an issue, <laughs> mm. and they both did say something along the lines of, if they knew it was going to be this bad, um. They wouldn't have voted for those projects uh, originally. Um, I really think they should have had more than an inkling of what we were in for when those projects were being added back in, because we'd all seen graphs from the previous 10-year plan um, showing a, um, a line of our credit rating and our annual spending columns um, without much daylight between them. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it didn't come to me as a surprise and it shouldn't have come to them as a surprise. I mean, Tanya, Ben, these people, these people shouldn't be running anything. It's the same with our national politicians. These people sound totally incompetent. Surely they should cancel the, the contracts for the pathetic cycleways and all the other climate change nonsense and listen to the people, Tanya. What are you hearing among the people of Hamilton? What's been the feedback? Um, we've, we've been waiting for this um, for quite some time. We've been trying to derail it and talk to, you know, there's been, been a lot of submissions. There's petitions, there's all sorts of things. Everyone's been hit from every angle. Now they're going to be hit in the pocket. Like Andrew said, we've tried. Like the, I'd say there's a minority of us that have been trying to get it out to there. We do have um, bigger groups that do are aware, but until people actually suffer, they don't do anything, and it's apathy. Um, I, people, what can I do? What can I do? And I said, well, okay, so it's almost like we need to lead a charge. There's got to be some legal action. I, this, we can't wait another two years, Andrew, for the 2025 elections. I mean, financially, or, or there's nothing we can do. It has to be paid back. But in the meantime, what else are they, what more damage are they going to do? So what do you suggest? The big thing to realise, Andrew, too, for people who aren't aware, Hamilton's a real test case for the rollout of the so-called smart city, which is a, the dumbest idea, I think, that the World Economic Forum has ever come up with. And that's really saying something. The smart city is all about people not being able to move around their, their city area, basically being 
tracked and traced everywhere we go. It's an open air prison, isn't it? A smart city and Hamilton's the lead, leading the charge on that. They've got some major camera work going up. Yes, and the speed bumps damage fire trucks. Mm. So it is a huge issue. We are choking our city. We are putting people in danger. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of Hamilton's fire trucks was put out of action for a while because of uh, damage from speed bumps. Because oh. imagine if if you're going to a fire at night um, and you're going fast because you're um, the fire trucks are allowed to go 25 kilometres above the posted speed limit, and um, so uh, you hit a speed bump at 75 kilometres per hour. Um, because you're weaving in and out of the traffic, and um, that's going to damage the suspension and other parts of the truck. And the fireman inside the truck, um, well, the driver might see the speed bump at the last minute, but the others don't know it's coming, and they can't brace for it, so they got thrown around in the truck. Oh. Similar things happen to the ambulances, and um, the paramedic in the back working on the patient um, doesn't get a warning, hits the speed bump, and all the equipment goes flying everywhere. Oh, it's bad. The council's I, breaking its own law. The the the, the local government body, uh, health and safety of the people, it is breaching it left, right, and centre, and it's got bad. What do we do, guys? Logan, Courtney, let's start with you. Where does this begin? Because we talk about let's get good, caring people's movement, NZ loyal people into local government, as Tanya says, in two years, so much damage will be done by these destructive people in the meantime. What do we do, Logan? Courtney, where do we start now, do you think? Well, my major concern is they're swapping houses, other people's houses, for bus stops and cycleways. I mean, at a rate that we're going, they're freeing up so much space that when these people are kicked out of their house, they can pitch their tents on the um, bus stops and the cycle waves. And, and that might sound, you know, like I'm trying to be yeah. comedic or something, but that's the ridiculousness of this. You know, we had this back in the 30s. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at look at the Great Depression and all these the, the, these situations, these people were in the parks and they were shanty towns. And this is what is literally happening to New Zealand. What are we going to do about it? Well, there's quite a few things we can do about it. First off, we have to get the word out. So just like we asked people to do during the election, five by five by five, but people, we have to get into car parks. You have to stand to car parks and say, hey, can you afford your rates at the moment? Do you want a 25% increase? I mean, mm. I, I, I don't know a single person that would be like, yeah, that sounds great. Bring it on. Um, it's just, this is absolutely ridiculous. We have to start talking. I think what we need to do is take the, the COVID-19 way that they dealt with and do the complete opposite. So instead of isolating, we need to start building communities. We need to start talking to each other. We need to start having dinner parties. I don't care. Get your next door neighbours in your house, start talking about these things. Turn up to that meeting, vote against it. Then start writing letters and, and, and emails and that sort of thing and bomb, the, and I don't mean with explosives, I mean bomb it with the, the mail. All right, absolutely just fill their email boxes up and listen, you sit there and think, oh, well, my email's not going to make a difference. Yeah, but if a, if a thousand of you do it, 
that's a thousand emails. You do that a day, you're going to blow up their servers. The servers just aren't going to be able to deal with it. <laughs> then start coming up with OIAs, start coming up with, you know, just go and talk to the CEO. Book book a, a meeting with the COO, the CEO. Start booking meetings with, with every single department so that they can't function, they can't work. And then that nice way. Idea. When the, nice idea. So as soon as they start sitting there going, oh, I've got so many meetings, I can't get my work done, then what happens? Oh, CIO, you're not reaching your KPIs. CEO, you're not reaching your KPIs. Guess your what happens then? performance indicators, yes. Yeah. See you, see you later, you know. And then when the CFO, the chief financial officer, sits there and says, uh, what are we doing? We, we can't achieve anything. We're going to blow out our budget. We can't borrow any more money. Now we're going to have to increase rates even more. What's going to happen? What that means is stand for office and support your people that are running for this. When they get in, cancel that contract for the CEO and the COO. You cancel that contract, fire them right there and then, and then put your own person in. It doesn't matter who it is. Make it the mayor. Who cares? At the end of the day, you, you, we've got to start doing this. If we can make Hamilton the case study for the rest of the country, bam, that's it. We are then putting the World Economic Forum, the UN, the WHO on notice, as well as Wellington. You keep messing around like this, we will stop you from being able to do anything. Another thing you can do, send as many letters as you can to the Governor-General. At the end of the day, the highest power we have in this country is the Governor-General. You bomb their letterboxes with emails, that's it. They will also not be able to function. And then they'll put pressure onto the the minister for local governments, and then do the same thing to them. So there's lots of things you can do. There's lots of things you can do, and they're just little. They're just little. Just set an alarm on your on your phone or whatever. Say must email local council and think, and you just send it, send it to all of those addresses. So the governor general send it to the um, minister for local government and send it to your mayor, deputy. Send it to the COO. Send it to all those people and just bomb their email. You, you'll fill it up. Absolutely. Well, let's say flood, flood the flood. emails. I love that. But but um, but you're right that I mean the Governor General was such a disappointment during the whole COVID nightmare, but maybe just enough, it wasn't enough in terms of numbers. Now so many people are waking up, so many Kiwis are angry. Andrew, do you think some of what Logan said there or all of it would be highly effective? Mine is I'd add one thing, stand in car parks write your own leaflets, print them off and say, do you know your rates are going up in Hamilton by 25% because our councillors are so incompetent who are in the majority. We must change the council. We must turf them out. A leaflet like that. Give thousands of those out every single day. But Andrew, what do you think of these ideas? So uh, very good. Um, a lot of the locals um, might not um, keep up with uh, local newspapers. Um, this hasn't hit uh, the national news. So um, if you're not getting uh, local information, you'll be unaware of it in Hamilton. So uh, the leaflets and talking to people in car parks, just with the simple question or statement, you know, do you know your rates are going up uh, by 25%. And I'd actually use the 60% over three years because oh, that's a real important figure. Mm. Um, and we have a new Minister for Local Government, Simeon Brown, a national MP. Oh. So uh, a fresh look at things. 
uh, might be able to get some changes and um, flooding him with emails would be good. Well, that's some ideas, and we'll follow that through again next week with more on that 25% and reaction to it, if you can both keep your ear to the ground, obviously. But let's talk about the history that you wanted to raise, how local councils, how local government evolved, and why, and was it ever useful? Could it all go? What's your feeling, Andrew? Tell us the, the observations from your historical knowledge. Yeah. So if you know where you came from, it's much easier to work out where you were going. And also another cliche is forewarned is forearmed. So um, if you can see what's been going on in the recent past, it can prepare you for what's going to happen in the future so you can get organised against it. Um, and we're seeing a lot of this. Um, uh, and, you know, as has been said many times, uh, the conspiracy theorists um, usually are proven right in six months. And uh, so there's a lot of good history has been created in the last few years <laughs> for us to learn from. Um, so a bit about councils is um, they originated from combining water and roading boards in around the 1860s through to the 1880s. So that is the council's core business, is just simply waters and roads. Not all the um, green stuff, uh, not all the... Um, so engineering? The parks and, and uh, playgrounds um, and uh, um, other things where they start to interfere in your daily life. Simply making um, roads and getting water to your property and wastewater away from your property. That was it. That was and it. over time, other things got added in, um, uh, such as building consents, which came about after the Napier earthquake in 1931. Um, and uh, that's a good example in that all of the building consent originally required was showing on a plan where the connection to the council's water services was on the property. That was it. You did that, you get your building consent. Now, building consents are hugely complicated and expensive, um, incredible amount of bureaucracy associated with that. Um, then libraries, um, the libraries are interesting because the idea of a free public library um, came from the United States with a very wealthy man named Andrew Carnegie who made a huge fortune on railways. And as a bit of philanthropy um, and understanding the importance of education, he built free libraries around the world. Um, and eventually councils took over the operation of those libraries. So uh, the councils have grown by um, inheriting lots of functions rather than it actually being planned. So in Hamilton, the council's got 28 different business units, um, which includes the zoo. Um, and if you ever went back and uh, started planning Hamilton from the start, uh, I don't think you would have actually expected a zoo to be included in the council activities. So 
really this starts to give an idea with the structural problems are in the council system and slimming the councils down by removing some of those business units, some of those functions where they're not appropriate for councils uh, will reduce council budgets and make councils easier to operate. Um, and examples of this would be, well, um, libraries is a good one because libraries already operate nationally with an interloan scheme. So instead of uh, Hamilton have its, having its own council, uh, sorry, having its own council libraries and every other council around it also having their own libraries, combining them and removing it from council and putting it as a standalone function um, either regionally or nationally um, means that the councils um, can reduce their administration structure and the libraries can have their own specialised administration structure. And what I mean by this is, if you take the example of occupational health and safety, <clears throat> um, the council needs a system which is so complicated it can deal with a librarian's paper cut right through to um, swimming pool attendants who are at risk of drowning through to and um, dog control officers who are at risk of being bitten through to uh, roading people who are at risk of getting hit by a car. So you end up with a very bureaucratic system where it's trying to be all things to everyone. If you can separate out those functions, then each group can have their own efficient system, run their own way, um, and uh, this will slim down councils to where councillors actually have an understanding and knowledge of what they're doing, because um, I'm pretty hot on some things like uh, building and resource management consents and things. Um, I know a little bit about sewerage, probably more than other councillors, <laughs> but I haven't actually run a library. <clears throat> um, and uh, I can't offer um, a competent level of oversight on 28 different functions. Mm. So um, we aren't providing the service that we're actually uh, elected to do because of that. Um, it's impossible to achieve. Let's change the system to make it more efficient. So, so that's a good example of um, one way where the history of understanding where councils came from leads to a solution. Um, other ones are about council rates, given that that's the hot topic of today. Mm -hmm. um, back when, um, back in 1840, New Zealand did not have a, a pay-as-you-earn taxation system. There was no income tax. The government in 1840 was run on customs duties. Um, when a ship came into the harbour, it would pay a customs duty on the, the goods on board and when it left the harbour it would pay a duty on that and that funded the government that was it um, councils when they were organized were given the opportunity to have a land tax um, because land is relatively easy to measure um, but it was uh, uh, the um, pay as you earn or income tax system 
was a temporary system introduced to help fund World War One. So I think it is time to actually review the whole taxation system. And there's been some interesting taxes around the world. Uh, in England, um, in the 1700s, there was a window tax because a lot of the glass came from France and France was the enemy. So the government started taxing windows. And there's a lot of old buildings in England where the windows have been taken out and blocked up so that they don't have to pay the tax. And uh, you sort of laugh at that, but this actually happened recently in Hamilton when um, there was essentially a tax on kitchen sinks because the definition of um, what was a habitable unit uh, was based on kitchens and so that um, if you have a granny flat and it's got a kitchen, okay, that's a separate unit. If it doesn't have a kitchen, then granny is really having to live as part of your family. You can't rent it out separately. It's not a separate unit, so it doesn't get rated in the same way. Okay. So this, at first glance, might make sense, but I think it was the Salvation Army had a hostel for um, homeless men, and they put in basins into each room in this hostel. And suddenly they were rated individually on every single room um, with the extra charges. So um, they ended up taking the sinks out. Oh, how crazy. So yes, uh, this is Agreed. real. Um, now, uh, one thing, another bit of history I'll focus on uh, there was an economist called John Maynard Keynes. He was operating around the 1920s through to the 1940s. And um, so that covers the period of the Great Depression. And he had a philosophy which became called Keynesian economics, which is that governments should act in a counter-cyclical manner to what's going on in the economy. What that means is if, if the country is in recession, governments should actually spend more because it stimulates the economy and helps you grow out of the economy. Um, the flip side of that is if the economy is booming, governments should spend less and save for a rainy day. Um, and one way of doing this is by the number of employees. So um, when there's high unemployment, why not create jobs? and expand ministries, pay more in wages, stimulate the economy. And now, uh, a lot of countries, governments and councils around the world, especially New Zealand, has been very good at that part. It's just that whenever there is a boom, there has never been a cutback <laughs> in, um, in the, the public service infrastructure and population. There's never uh, been a, yeah. a saving for the rainy day. Never that. Yeah. That just keeps being... That's right. Wow. So um, the National Coalition has gone in um, intending to make big cuts in our bureaucracy um, at a time when we're sort of dealing with a recession. So not the ideal time, but it's something that should have happened many times over the last 
50 years. Mm-hmm. So they really have to get on and, and do it. Um, Hamilton City Council employs about 1% of the population of Hamilton, which is um, sort of a pretty big chunk um, for what we do. And again, um, it's always growing. Every recession, it grows. Every boom, it grows. <laughs> Just keeps growing. Yeah. So what Tanya said earlier, that it's corrupt up to its eyeballs, would you agree with that statement? Uh, corrupt is an interesting word and one that I have actually used often around councils because um, if you are knowingly incompetent <laughs> um, and doing your job taking public money, then I would say that's a valid interpretation of the word. So it is something I do use around councils. Have they got um, any idea, Andrew, how people are feeling about this? Because people are actually starting to really get antsy about things, and they will now. They are starting to get aware of it now because more people are writing in emails, and making phone calls, approaching councillors in the street, and um, there have been incidences which have raised um, a greater awareness of security. Um, and this is clearly a level of frustration that has never existed in Hamilton before. Ogan, this is going to increase, isn't it, as Kiwis wake up, as they see they've been hurt in their bodies, hurt in their back pockets, hurt in their mortgages, hurt by their banks, hurt by their councils and their government. People are going to be angry. Where do we go with that? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if we look at France, if we look at uh, um, Ireland right now, the council's really, and, and this goes for central government as well, you have a choice to make. You can either keep doing whatever it is you want to do and stuff what the people say, and then you get big, giant bales of hay and manure tossed into your local council um, customer service offices, or you have them just burning the place down with get out or that sort of thing, or you can stop and you say, look, I have a problem. I'm actually not entirely sure. Like Andrew was saying, he's not a zoologist. He has no idea how to run a zoo. I mean, most of us don't, and thats I don't think that's a reasonable request. You know, when you take on that job description, you you do think that, oh, I'm just going to be doing this and that. Next, you know, you've got 27 different business units, plus you're an officer of a PCPU, plus you have to comply with every single regulation that's ever been produced. I don't know all of them. How am I supposed to do that? And so I think, yeah, they need to stop and say, listen, I'm not entirely sure that I know what I'm doing. And that's okay. That's why we ask people. That's why we talk to people. You know, there's this person called Liz Gunn. She has this thing where when you're a representative, you listen to the people. And this is what's not been going on. There's been this, I'm the mayor or I'm the prime minister and I'm going to dictate to you what's going to happen. And I think we really have to stop. You know, our people... First off, this isn't the time of Richard Seddon or the 1840s or, you know, 70s or whatever, where it takes you two weeks to get just down the road. Representational government really needs to represent. They need to talk to people. We can do exactly what we're doing now. None of us are actually together. You know, we're not in the same place. You know, and yet when we stop and we look at it, I mean, I'm I'm in the West Coast. Liz is in Auckland. You guys are in Hamilton. That 
is you know without us having a you know a caucus meeting or, or or something like that that would would have been impossible but i don't i don't think that the system that we've got is really serving any of us and i think too many people we've consolidated too much power and as a result you see it within councils as well they build these empires none of them talk to each other it's all about you know what am i going to get out of the system and all that sort of stuff that's not what public service is you're there to serve and how do you serve you listen you know, your masters are the people. And the people, yeah, sure, they get it wrong too sometimes. But at the end of the day, you get it wrong 99% of the time. You know, and, and this is the thing is that we need to we need to really stop and start listening to the people. And I think that we need to stop making these meetings at, you know, lunchtime or two o'clock in the afternoon because these people were struggling to, to like Andrew said, either go to the doctor or pay my rates, or pay my mortgage, or pay my rent. They can't stop work and come to a council meeting. These council meetings need to be either held via Zoom at you know mm -hmm. after hours, you know after five or six o'clock. And again, the people are exhausted from from going to work. But again, the people need to take responsibility and say, hey, this is my council. This is my cost. If I just let them go and I don't run the council, they will run me. So yeah, that's that's really. I think that's the only way we can look at this going forward is that the people have to respond. I just wish that they would have responded before it, it got to the point of it becoming physical, because that that seems to be what happens. So, and and I I really don't want to see violence or or anger turning into violence, because, partly because that's exactly what the World Economic Forum wants. They've tried their best to divide this country in the last three years through their puppet politicians, town and country. Trans, non-trans, Maori, non-Maori, jab, non-jab. And we're still together as a, a little bit brittle, but we're still a united Kiwi front. But this idea of getting out on the streets, they love. They love all that, all that anger and hatred. They're trying to rack it up. What did you think of what Logan said then, Andrew? He's spot on. And, and a couple of thoughts about that is... Um, Councils should actually have pushed back on central government um, on some of these things. Yeah. Um, so uh, taking on roles in building consents when it really is a, a national system of consents according to um, the Building Act uh, rather than localised council operations. Um, liquor licensing, um, even fluoride decision-making being dumped on local councils. Um, you know, I'm no expert in fluoride. Why would I be able to make that decision? Um, so uh, councils should have said, um, no, um, don't make us do that. It, it's not a good uh, system for us. We're not set up for that. Um, but then, Andrew, what about, hmm. I would say that it's at least we're getting it away from the corrupt central government. We've got yes. it back to a corrupt local government. How about enough councillors say, well, we don't know what we, we're doing with fluoride, but what we can do is go to the people. And we yes. are insisting on getting into our town hall and having a nightly meeting, if that's what it takes, where we encourage all Hamiltonians to come and give us their views on what they want in their water, fluoride or not. That would be a revolution, not sending yeah. it back up to the corrupt central ones. Yes, because, um, you know, I didn't stand for council 
um, on any background of any knowledge on 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 that. So why should I be making that decision for people? So, but I think that's the, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I think that's the key that none yeah. of us who who stood in loyal even pretended we had a whole lot of knowledge. I kept saying in meeting after meeting, mm. I really have two ears to offer you. I have two ears. You guys in New Zealand, the people and the people's movement have the information. I am willing to listen and together yes. we'll put that together. If only we saw leadership actually as at its heart listening and respecting and honouring. What's your reaction to that? Am I too idealistic, Andrew? Uh, we should have more in the way of referendums. Um, yes. And uh, that's easy enough to do because um, we have central government election every three years and local government is offset by one year um, and um, we always end up with uh, by-elections for either local government or central government so why not every year on a set date each year have elections and referendums um, so that every year uh, we can go out to the people and get what they want clearly, um, yes or no, um, and uh, make these referendums binding. I had a brilliant idea, Tanya Barn, of um, attaching a kind of referendum door to our tax number across the nation. And then locally and centrally, you could just say, for example, centrally, oh, we've got Bill Gates saying there should be another lockdown for a pandemic, pandemic, should we lock everybody down? Should we jab you compulsorily? Go to your tax number and there it will have the referendum yes or no vote attached to that. Do you reckon, Tanya, we could ever dream of that kind of governance, governance well, where people I listen? Think, well, I, I believe that we need to get rid of the tax system generally, but well, and as, as, in that sense of the 1% is fine, um, and our tax number, that's Cool. Yeah, we need to have definitely have a referendum and it needs to be made clear and easy. Whether it is electronic for people to read and just click yes or no, like the petitions that we have now, um, I can't understand why we don't have that already. Mm. It would be it would be so easy. Yeah. It would be easy to say it is, but they don't want it, they don't want us to do that. They don't want to be they don't want to be, they don't want to work for the people. Um, and this is what's happened with the socialist government in the last sort of six years, seven, seven years. So um up till now. So I think how how do we do that? How do we create it and and bring that idea to council? Do we need people to to vote on that before, Liz, beforehand? Do we need to say this is what we want the government to have or local government? How how do we bring that about? Is it something that we need to address privately to people? Um, put it out there that let's see if we can take this to the council. Let's um through our, your news media, through Rumble, through wherever, just to get it all and to put in together and to get the numbers, I suppose, through everywhere, every avenue of, of, of movement. Because there's a lot of people now that are politically aware that were never before. That's and true. And extent, yeah. there was a moment, Tanya, where you paused and you went, the, the councils wouldn't like it because they wouldn't want to be, I knew the word you were going to say. What do you think it was, Logan? I think it was controlled. 
The council doesn't want to be controlled by the people. And that's the way it should be. The council should be answerable and controlled by the people, not vice versa, shouldn't mm. it? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. And and look, we could quite easily we could do that within what is it, 28 days. All you'd have to do is go to, you know, central government and say, look, we want you to enshrine this in law. And then that would make it legal that, yeah, we could make referendums of, say, whatever your population is. You can make it, say, 25% or 30% or 15% or whatever, that you have a binding referendum. But, I mean, again, the councils don't want you to do that. What do you think central government wants? They don't want you to do that at all. So this is a flow and effect. You've got to remember that, um, you know, we still have a Governor-General that signs off on all of, all of our laws. We, you know, we sit there and say, oh, well, we, we gained independence in 1931. No, we didn't. We, our head of state is still King Charles III, you know, and his representative is still the Governor General. So at the end of the day, this is something that we need to remember: is that we are a monarchy, and if we don't want that anymore, then we need to vote for that. So that, yeah, again, that's something they need to think about. Um, I'm not sure whether you're all aware, but um, Rainer Felmack was coming to New Zealand. Do, does everyone know who Rainer is? Rainer Felmack. He yes. is a yeah. He's a lawyer. From overseas, he has his registration in Germany and America. He um, sued, has sued Deutsche Bank in the past, um, Volkswagen, and a few other massive international, um, uh, what do they call them, cases. And so, what's happened is he was coming to New Zealand, and I don't know how many people were aware, and he was leaving. He was in Mexico on the way because he wanted to work with the Hibaka Putanga um, Declaration of Independence. The, there is a lot more to that than people realise. And we've, there's a group of people um, in New Zealand that have followed it through from King William IV. Um, now, he was, he has, he handed every single bit of wealth um, in, in trust, like he created a trust to hand to the Whakaputanga people, like the, the, the United Tribes of New Zealand. Now they say the Māori or the Indigenous, well, we're all Māori and Indigenous if we're born here. Māori is actually the British word for people um, back in the day. So what's happened is he created we are all beneficiaries to the Crown's Trust. So there's a lot of legislation around this as it's coming to the fore. There's two guys I'd love to get them on the Zoom and I asked them if they would come on to it and they're working with a man who has written a book. It is huge um, and it is really quite um, significant in what is happening now with the crown and everything like that. Rona wanted to come to New Zealand and he was going to work with the people with this hupakaputanga. It's so powerful that there is people in a big yacht travelling around the world in New Zealand. I've got the hupakaputanga flag and they've got this Spanish flag flying on the mast. They have not been refused in any port without a passport in the world. So this is global. This is a huge global thing that people we need to really kind of look into and address because this goes right through to getting the control through the government and through trying to get some sort of recognition. I think if we can understand that, and this is our history, this is our the start of all of this nonsense, along with what Andrew, how the councils formed are down the track. So there's so much more history going back to like 
1700. I mean, I, I would say this to that. I, I, I haven't looked fully into that because there are so many of these forms of rabbit holes and, you know, there's, there's common law, there's lots to look at there, but some people worry that it could be um, not a trick, but something to put all our energy into. And then these world governments who are controlling us through their puppet local um, representatives centrally and on the councils, they could easily just send in troops. And then no matter what you've declared in a case or said we're in another system and we're not following your system, um, they just turn up with their violence, as we saw in Freedom Village, but at, yeah. on a bigger scale. So yeah. I don't, in some ways, I'm, I'm, I have reservations about getting people's hopes up only to have them smashed down that path. Yeah, I know Rhino was picked up in Mexico and taken back to Germany and put in jail on trumped-up charges. That is the problem. It's the violence. And really where we need to focus, I think, is waking up so many people to what happened. Yeah. But they simply can't. They're overwhelmed by the numbers. Mm. And it's a huge, huge topic you opened up there, but I do have reservations because I think it gets people's hopes up. I might be a system I'm in a different system. Too much understanding. Yeah. Uh, too much to try and understand and fit in when we've got this to deal with immediately. Yeah, and 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 really we need to focus. People are exhausted. It's been like a marathon. Mm. I'd like to perhaps, Andrew, get your gauge on on your reaction to what Tanya's brought up there. I have read a lot of history um, into that sort of thing um, uh, and uh, right through to um, the different versions of the treaty. Um, I... Um, when I'm trying to get people motivated to um, fight back against what's going on, um, I do warn them about um, the need to pick their battles um, because it is exhausting. There is a lot of divide and conquer that suits mm. the establishment um, if we're all got um, different focuses. Um, so um, it is, um, we've, we've got to choose what's most important that we can actually achieve um, and um, try and coordinate our efforts onto that um, and be accepting of everyone's um, particular interest. Um, but uh, it does require careful management. Um, um, and I know that many, many times I've felt overwhelmed. Um, I follow a lot of news from Europe and the US, um, and uh, yeah, I get very frustrated about it, <laughs> but there is nothing I can do about it. And I have to remind myself, let that go. Um, um, think global, act local. Um, and focus uh, my energies on what I can achieve. Um, so, yeah, very valid points. Um, and it's very upsetting to hear um, this good guy is in prison on trumped up charges because we're seeing that happen uh, more and more. That That is the current response um, that the authorities are using. Um, and, yeah, it will happen in New Zealand. Um, but uh, yeah, there's not much I can do about it. Um, 
Yeah. Like I suppose I, anybody yeah. in any direction, we actually will have to come back to one focus. It doesn't matter about globally, look globally, act locally. I like that. That's that's really yes. good I love the way, Andrew, you're so common sense. You're so practical. I'm going to give the last word tonight to you, Logan Courtney, also a very common sense former soldier, somebody who's had to deal with many battles, literal battles. What do you say in terms of what Tanya and Andrew offered there, Logan? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you can't refute what Tanya's saying, but at the end of the day, if someone with a gun comes to you and says, Hey, how you going? I represent this party. There's not much you can do about it. And it sucks, it does. But one thing we can look forward to is that there are groups out there, NZ Lawyer was one, where we want to form a constitutional government. And so this is this is something that we can offer to the people. This isn't a, a, a pie in the sky thing. This is a real thing. We have a constitution that we are working through. And as of Tuesday, with our strategic group, we're going through the constitution. From there, we have a strategic plan to be able to help and inform as well as communicate with the people. And we also have a declaration of independence, specifically for King Charles III. And so if you want a ray of hope, there's one. But if you talk to your friends, you can discuss many. You know, this this can work either as part of the government or completely independent of. And if you guys want to just keep working together and changing your local government and then changing your central government, then my hat's off to you. But as a member of NZ Loyal, yeah, that's what we're offering to the people. Again, it's going out to a public consultation. So it means that if there are parts or sections of our constitution you do not like, then it, you guys can send amendments in and we can have discussions, again, using the town hall meeting. And as of you know, next year, Liz and I are going to jump on the road and go around and talk to people in the town hall meeting format so that the local your local candidates, um, as well as your central government candidates, can can start working with you to be able to change the system. So hopefully we're not blowing the trumpet too much for NZ Loyal, but things are changing in this country, and thankfully these sorts of things are happening. I, I know it, it hurts in the short term, but I can see New Zealand coming together and becoming a strong country, and we're going to decide who we are as a people, and it's it's an exciting thing to do. So, yeah, I hand, hand it back to you, Liz, and, and say, yeah, thank you for all the work you've done. It's terrific, this talk. I'm really enjoying it, the, the way we're covering a number of really important subjects. But when you say blowing the trumpet for New Zealand oil, I'll remind you all, if the trumpet is blown for New Zealand oil, it's simply another way of saying we're blowing the trumpet for the people's movement, for the people to take back our power. That is what we are all committed to, including you, Andrew, and what a fine leader you are in your city. Let's talk again and uh, and help people locally and nationally to wake up and remember we are powerful, we are many, and they are but few. We have the power and we will take it back. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Liz.